Warning, the following content occasionally contains adult themes and language, which is not intended for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome back to another episode of Cinematic Rewind. Joining me today to talk about The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy is Cookie. Don't forget your towels, y'all. And Regent. What's up, everybody? All right. So like I said, we are talking about The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, which was released on April 29th, 2005, has a 6.7 out of 10 on IMDb, has a 60 on Rotten Tomatoes, and a 63 on Metacritic. This was an absolutely wild film from start to finish for me. Yeah, that's about how I'm going to sum it up. It was wild. It was a wild trip. I kind of felt like it was almost a little bit like Labyrinth in the weirdness level, but it wasn't as strange of a topic so cookie you're the one who picked this film right uh yeah you could say that i added to the list gotcha gotcha so is this like something you're a fan of or just a movie you thought we would like to cover yeah and that's why i want to specify why i was saying i added to the list of movies that we watched it wasn't necessarily like top pick kind of thing this movie from my cinematic history is a movie that is deemed pretty good but it's not like it's the best films it's just a good movie for this time period that between the 2000s gotcha gotcha so real quickly i'll ask both of you and i'll start with you first regent what is your history with this film Absolutely little to nothing. This would have been 11th grade for me when this movie came out. Uh, actually, the tail end of my, my junior year of high school. Interestingly enough, it was distributed by Buena Vista Pictures, so the Walt Disney World. I heard about it. I saw commercials for about it. I never got into the movie when it came out. I didn't even know there was actually a book series dedicated to it until well after the fact. Yeah, I just found out there was a book series right before watching it and have some interesting notes about that, but we'll get to that later. Cookie, what's your history with the film? Yeah, I definitely have a much more connected history. I didn't know anything about the books, but what happened was in high school, I saw the commercials. I knew some of the actors. I was intrigued by it, but like my family didn't want to watch it. So I didn't care to go to see it in the cinemas. But once it hit DVD, my friends at school would talk about it and they enjoyed it. And they were telling me it was based off of a book. And considering, especially during this time period, the trend of book series, trilogies and stuff like that, because we were a few years into Harry Potter and a couple other films. I was definitely excited by that concept where I was like, wow, movies based off of some of these fantasy books have been really awesome. So I rented it on DVD and I enjoyed it. I didn't get quite a bit of the humor, but the humor that I got, I really enjoyed. And I just had a good memory of it. And then as I got older throughout the years, sometimes it would just come up where we talk about some of our favorite films and my friends that I made throughout life, even as recent as recent years, they would say they love that film and I would rewatch it with them. So I have a lot of good memories with the film and i know quite a bit of people who really like it okay okay so yeah you're definitely the most experienced with this film of all of us oh yeah i know quite a bit of the behind the scenes the actors and actresses that was in the film why it was made and that was even before this podcast i knew quite a bit of that stuff so yes See, and that's the thing, like, I'm familiar with the cast, too, because of other work they've done. I don't know if it was the premise of the movie or the trailers or whatnot, but it never really grabbed my attention to say you should go see this movie when it came out. 
Yeah, I have to say, looking back, the movie is more odd when I go back to my first viewing or first one or two viewings of it. And I understand it's definitely an odd movie. It's a quirky movie. But more specifically that, and Regent, you can kind of understand this, especially like in the 90s and early 2000s, because things were more readily available and movies were across the seas. You could have movies made in other countries. Some movies that was made, let's say overseas, because we're in the States, some of those movies would sometimes have just really bad marketing coming to the States. And I feel like this movie might have been one of those things where it was like the American market didn't really have these type of movies. This was kind of like a BBC channel type of thing. All we had was like PBS channel that showed some of the shows. Whereas nowadays society, thanks to streaming, things like Doctor Who and all that kind of stuff where that has more of that type of market, that's now widespread across the US. But yeah, back in the early 2000s, a movie like this, they just wouldn't have done effective marketing. Yeah, and also a lot of movies back then were very adventurous with their content. It wasn't always, oh, we got to tone it, tone it in and have a direction from A to Z and hit each of these pegs to make a fulfilling movie. A lot of movies, you were jumping back and forth to random parts of the movie and you're like, what the heck is going on? Yeah, you're right, actually. I think what happened was the standard was raised because of successful franchises in recent years that I agree with you. Nowadays, you can't just goof off and just make a movie. It's held to a higher standard. Yeah, I definitely feel like this was, for me, the in-between quality for a BBC production type deal to where it was still high quality, but it wasn't exactly what we're used to for BBC productions now. Like what they could do now or what they've done over the past decade with some of their more famous, I would say, IPs like Doctor Who, Sherlock, Dracula, stuff like that. Yeah, and I will go ahead and be transparent. I didn't read the books. I know there's a couple other things that were based off of this, the original Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. But I hate to say that I don't feel like this could work in today's time period. I can't see how you could make this better. And I'm not saying because the movie's great. Unfortunately, I would say the opposite is that this movie has so many weird parts to it. I don't know if you can make it any more legible. You would have to cut out quite a bit and pretty much tell a different story for it to really be a better quality. Yeah, definitely. I haven't read the books either. I honestly didn't know this movie existed until it was brought up to watch it for the podcast. But there are some other bits. Like there was a TV show from the from 1981 and there's actually a new TV show coming out for it. Should have been last year. So it was delayed. Dun, dun, dun. After what I just said, I have now put the challenge out there. <laughs> mm -hmm. We will be getting a new TV show for it. Well, I will say there's actually even more adaptations because the movie was considered like the ninth version. They actually had a couple video games back in the 80s. I think the first thing that came out was way back in the 70s was actually radio. So they've had just all sorts of different attempts at this. I know we still haven't dived into the movie itself, but a lot of the core elements in the film, I can see why people feel like this should be good. And I think that's the tough part is that there's some core elements to the story that sound intriguing, but it's like, how do you make that fit for entertainment? And I think that's where people keep falling apart at. Yeah, that's where I fall apart a little bit is with all that there is in the movie, I should have enjoyed it more than I did. And I feel like we can actually dive into the movie with that note is that every single bit of it I should have liked. I liked the cast. I've seen them in other things and I liked the plot. I liked where it was going. Like Earth is destroyed and now he has to go on this space adventure with these random people that he had met previously on Earth. I should have liked it more than I did, but I didn't 
enjoy it so much. And I did look this up before watching it. It is not technically considered a comedy. What? Yeah. That's a negative to me. Yeah. It technically falls underneath the category of sci-fi fantasy, but not comedy. This reminds me of that whole like alien being a horror film. I feel like that's where you fall into that trap of, oh, we have to pick one slot. I'm sorry. This is more of a comedy than anything else. Comedy with some fantasy sci-fi elements. That's the most I'll give it. Right. That's where I'm with you on that is because I feel like this definitely was a comedy to me. I found it to be more funny than a serious film. Yeah, if they market it that way, unfortunately, I do feel like that's where they fell short. But I don't remember ever feeling that way. I saw the trailers growing up. So I know Regent didn't really see much about it, but I saw the trailers. I saw the marketing for it. It was all comedy to me. And that's why I was drawn to it. And honestly, that is the reason why I like it. If I was to watch it for sci-fi, it would fall short in so many areas to me that, yeah, I would tear this movie apart if I went about it from a fantasy sci-fi route. Oh, yeah. I did quite enjoy some of the humorous bits. I really like the robot in the film, Marvin, how he's just like this depressed robot with a personality. As he said, like, I'm a personality prototype. Alan Rickman did an amazing job. I mean, how fitting because his tone of voice and who he is, it just felt like a very, I don't know, I want to say Snape, but very, I'm just done with everything and I just don't want to care anymore. Like sound of tone. That's what I picked up on. Then I think it's Alan Rickman in pretty much any of his method acting movies, especially if you want to get into like Die Hard or anything where he tries to be serious, but that, that thick accent comes through. That's good acting where even just vocally, like the robot itself didn't do a lot of physical humor. There was a couple of them, especially when it got shot in the head at the end of the movie. I love that part. But just the hearing the dialogue of the robot was always fantastic. And one of my favorite scenes, I'm just going ahead and bring it up, was when he talks about the computer and they're they're all going crazy. You're like, did you figure out with the computer? And he's like, yeah, but it hates me. <laughs> That's one of my favorite scenes in the movie. I love that. I feel like with him in particular, my favorite scene would be where he shoots the gun and all of them just go get depressed. And like, oh, I can't go on. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't even know it was Alan Rickman until I looked up the cast. I was used to him by then because of a bunch of his movies. Plus, he did Galaxy Quest not too long before that. And Dogma. But that's how Re me and Regent grew up with him popping out a movie every year. Yeah, he was always the international voice talent in the movie. Some of the other names in here, I really enjoy Martin Freeman as an actor, especially in roles like this. I saw a lot of mannerisms in here that he used for Bilbo, sort of like that cowardly individual who has hints of bravery to him, but yet he'd rather be comfortable. And you know how amazing of an actor he is, is that at that point in time, I would say, in my opinion, he was early in his career. I don't know enough of his career, so I don't want to disrespect him. Because I know for some actors, they have a long history, but they don't get well known until way later. But at least from things I was watching, that was definitely one of the first things I saw him in. And he did a great job then. He wasn't a staple for me. Whenever I go back to rewatch this movie, I commend him more and more because I'm like, wow, he did a damn good job for where he was at in his career career yeah definitely he started kind of acting in 1997 that was his first build appearance in something so it wasn't too far off from 2005 you know they would probably have started filming this in 2003 so that's only five years off yeah he got the leading role think about it, 2003 he had love actually and ali g in the house which cookie and i both know who ali g is <laughs> that's not even a worthy credit to have i know and then the year before that you had Chong the dead as well for him he was in that too 
I do remember Sean and Dip, which that's why I want to give him credit is that something like Sean and Dip was probably his in love, actually. Those to get him a leading performance with the team that was in that film, I think is very impressive. So he wasn't in his acting career very long before he started getting leading roles in what now are commercially successful films. Oh, yeah, that man's he definitely got a big check behind his name now. You can ask for whatever. I mean, it also came to help him that prior to that, his real big claim to fame outside of Love Actually and Ali G was he was in the British version of The Office. Mm-hmm. Yep. Oh, yeah, I did forget about that. You also have the narrator from this being Stephen Fry, which I'm always here for more Stephen Fry content. That was another excellent choice. There's a lot of people who were good for this film, even though I could definitely understand and respect the reasons why the film isn't high on a lot of people's lists. But at least from a casting standpoint, a lot of people were casted really well in the film for me. Now, I know I'm kind of jumping ahead, but I do want to ask you, Venture, so most deaf, that was the black guy that was in the film. Do you know who that was? Do you recognize him at all? I do not. Okay, so he was actually, especially like in the 90s, even to this day, he's pretty well known more in the hip hop culture, especially back at that time, he was more of an underground artist. So he started more music and then he did acting in the 90s, similar to kind of some of the movies we talked about, like Queen Latifah with Last Holiday. He was in the same boat where he started in music, started doing some more movies. He hasn't done a large list of movies that I know of, but at that time, it was kind of a big deal that he was in the movie. You could kind of say either way, like they gave him a chance, but also from an entertainment standpoint they kind of did market to like hey we have this musical artist especially from america be in our film so just kind of something for you to know since it doesn't have any impact nowadays like it did back then he's been in a couple things i've seen he was in logan he was in a knight's tale nightmare on elm street and he was also in the italian job i loved him in italian job yeah so it's not like I would recognize him off the bat, but I have seen some of his work and just not attached it to him. Hold on. You, you said Nightmare on Elm Street? Mm-hmm. He was never in that. He's credited on IMDb. Which one are we talking about? The 2010 God-awful remake one? I thought it was the remake one. 1984. Oh, he was in that one? Okay. Really? Might be uncredited. Yeah, he's apparently, according to IMDb, he's in there. We learn something new every day. It's telling me that that is one of his top 10 films. If he was in that one, he was definitely been a child, so he could have been an extra. Yeah, maybe. But yeah, it's not like I attached those films or any of the characters to him directly, but I do like when actors or musicians, I should say, find their way into movies and go from there. I, I do enjoy that. Oh, yeah. I feel like if you're talented in one area, there's always a good possibility you can be talented in other areas. But real quick, I do want to dive a little bit further into the film. I can't really pinpoint one particular reason why I didn't enjoy the film. And I feel weird about it because like typically I'm like, okay, I didn't like this film because of this, this, and this. But for this one, it's just like, yeah, I just didn't find it to be super entertaining. Like I got a nice laugh here and there, but I couldn't really find something to enjoy throughout the entire film. If I had to take a guess, I now I do enjoy the film, but I do have a couple areas that I feel is definitely negatives that I did not enjoy as much. And I'm curious if this connects with you. The number one issue I had with it, and this is why when I first watched it, I enjoyed it, but I, I just didn't understand a lot of the stuff that happened in the film. And on rewatches, it definitely stands out like a very sore thumb. It's almost inconsistent in whatever it's trying to tell. It's kind of all over the place. That's what would drive me nuts when I first watched it. And re 
rewatches, I kind of just deal with it and I just enjoy everything. But it definitely feels like you're kind of like reading a book and you're skipping different chapters and you're just kind of getting quick insights to where they're at in the story versus like one consistent plot line. Okay, yes, it does kind of feel like that because it felt like I was missing chunks almost, but not quite to where I picked up on it. Not enough to be like, okay, this is my critique of the film. But in retrospect, yeah, that would actually make a lot of sense. Yeah, because whenever I think about the movie and what I enjoy about it, the main things I remember is beginning and end and just funny parts. And that's literally how the story is told. Earth is destroyed, then there's like this new Earth, so that's beginning and end. And then you have just a bunch of different jokes in the middle, the whole 42 thing. And then it's like, you got these aliens doing this. Oh, here's all these rules behind the guide. It's just all different types of funny jokes, but it's never a full, consistent story that's all working together. Yeah. Honestly, if you were to offer me a lot of money to retell the story, that is basically what I could tell you. Yeah, Earth was destroyed. Martin Freeman's in it. Earth was brought back by mice and Alan Rickman's in it and Bill Niley. So... Yeah. And I wonder if that's something you can improve about it, because when you go by the name, okay, Hitchhiker's Guide, that's one of the things I enjoyed the most about it was like this whole concept that there's hitchhikers in space and they kind of have this rule of thumb. And I thought that was just really cool because you can kind of look at it more of a thing on even on Earth. Sometimes you got these people who live these crazy lives. They live off the land and they kind of have like this this rule of thumb. And even the movie kind of would have segments and stuff like that where it was like, oh, as a hitchhiker, you should do this and that. But where I would get confused at is that was like a subplot, but then that's where I would get confused. Like, okay, isn't the movie about that? So why aren't we talking more about hitchhikers? But then they got this whole other plot going on about Earth being destroyed and why it's being fixed. And then you also got the why life, what is 42 about? It was just so many plot points. And I feel like if they just stuck to the hitchhiker's guide, kind of like Zombieland. You remember how Zombieland, like more than half of the movie of Zombieland, did you ever watch Zombieland? Mm -hmm. Both. So you remember how he had like three to four rules or something like that, and it would get reiterated and it was just fun. Like by the time that you got to the end of the movie, everybody remembered all the rules and it was really fun and it made sense. I think if they stuck to that where it was like, here's the guide and you're going to understand why the guide works. And that's what the movie could like Earth would have never had to come back. He could have ended up in a whole nother place and the movie still would have probably been way better. Mm -hmm. Here's some things I think the film would be better off without, and I did write these down. Number one, it did not need the romantic subplot between the different characters. Yes, completely agree. Very useless. It kind of didn't really go anywhere. And it did not need this intense, very deep question in the film of what is the purpose of life in the universe? Because one, it never answers it or it never attempts to really answer it. And when the, the film actually tries to make a character give an answer, it's just love, which don't get me wrong. I sometimes enjoy a great romantic plot, but in this film, it just didn't work. And it didn't convince me that in this film and in this particular universe that love is the purpose of the universe if they were going to do a movie like this with the time with the amount of time that they have they should have just chose one either talk about the guy talk about the purpose of life just just choose one of these plot points that would have easily been enough to fill the time up and if you have the whole Hitchhiker's Guide thing as the central plot, the romantic subplot actually make a lot more sense because you have someone introducing you to this set of rules to live by if you're going to live this new life without Earth. So that would make total sense to me. But Regent, how do you feel about how inconsistent the film is or how messy it is and what kind of fixes you would suggest? 
I mean, it's the perfect representation of early 2000 movies by far. I would have to piggyback off Cookie. It would really have to come down to tidying up the story to where I would say the guidebook meaning of life and just dive deeper into both those spectrums and not deviate from that source materials whole. Outside of that, I don't know how much more I would I could do to improve upon it, really. Yeah, I think that is kind of what you're talking about is like, just choose one or two things, cut out the rest of the, the stuff. That's it. We don't need to add anything else. Just better write, cut it down and better write what you have. I am also very curious as to why they made a whole subplot about this particular gun. Yes, I know it becomes useful later on in the film, but you never see why the political rival wanted that gun. Oh, wow. Yeah, you're right. That plot thread just gets left hanging. Oh my gosh, after the amount of times I watch it, I, well, first of all, I'll be straight up. I've seen it a bunch of times and I've never even cared about that plot point. <laughs> and then part two is like, yeah, you're right. Like never really had a reasoning behind it. I feel like there's definitely some fixes that you could make to this film and it would work a lot better. There are a lot of enjoyable moments in this film, though. With as much that is wrong with it and as much as I didn't enjoy, I did enjoy some of the small character moments. So, for instance, you got to see the interactions between the two aliens who basically just met up after a long time. I thought that was quite entertaining and kind of funny to watch. And then you have the character interactions between Martin Freeman's character and Zoe Deschanel's character. After they meet up again, I thought that was also kind of fun. And that whole sort of rivalry between the first alien that you meet in this movie at the party and Martin Freeman. Yeah, they they do have great interactions. And one of the things I really like about the film, too, is because of these interactions, it really make the whole Earth look small and that there's been this whole universe going on of aliens, civilizations, space travel. And we're here on Earth barely scratching to what they're doing out there. And that's something I really enjoy the film, especially for how normal it was for them, for everybody else. And Martin's character, he's just like any of us would be like, what is going on? I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed Martin Freeman just being confused as always. I feel like I now see him in that particular type of character a lot more, especially with his Watson and his Bilbo and his character in the MCU. Yeah, he definitely does the intelligent yet dumbfounded really well. And it's never insulting. It never looks like he's just like some idiot, but he's like, I'm usually smart, but you are putting me in situations where I don't understand. And he just does that really well. Right. And that's the way I feel about it, too, is, yeah, he is an intelligent individual, but yeah, you summed up perfectly. You just put him in these ridiculous situations and he's just like, I got nothing. Yeah, <laughs> you know, he's got this ring that pops out of nowhere. He's in Wakanda out of nowhere, just zombies out of nowhere. There's just always like something he's being put in. I appreciate that because we get enough like idiotic characters. Sometimes it's really nice to see someone that's intelligent, but they're being put in situations that it's not necessarily that he's uncomfortable. He's just ignorant, which you can also appreciate. He never shuts down either, though, especially like in Sherlock. You put him in something that he doesn't know. He does that acting really well, and he portrays the character that doesn't give up, too. So that's why I also appreciate that type of character he plays as it's still once again that intelligence but also not afraid right it's that hint of bravery to him and i think martin freeman as a character especially in all the things he plays he does play a lot of the same characters as far as their core their central core of their mannerisms the way they act in certain environments the way they respond to certain things sometimes even the choices they make but i feel like martin freeman's characters in these different films and tv shows is he's the type of guy who just gets plucked out of his life and thrown into a situation and we kind of wish as an audience 
situations, we could react as bravely and as strong as he could in those situations. Exactly. Which, speaking with you about this is that, wow, I've never put that together. But yeah, everything I've seen him in, you can easily paint that picture. I've always viewed Martin Freeman in a film as just a regular guy who got pulled out of his life and put in somewhere. And you as an audience member wish you could react the same in those situations. Because I feel like he's always reacting to a situation, but any decision he makes is calculated. Yeah. And especially in this movie, as we're talking about that, and I'm thinking about all the stuff his character did, his character was never truly scared. It wasn't that he just wouldn't move. He was just more like curious as in like, hey, what is going on? What, why are we doing this? Why are we rushing here? And that's that's also what made the movie entertaining to watch his character go through that. Yeah, it definitely added to the film to me. I feel like if it wasn't for Martin Freeman portrayal of author Arthur, I wouldn't have enjoyed this film as much. Oh, there's no doubt. He carried the movie quite heavily. There's great moments in the film, but just like, so if I had to kind of go ahead and start summing up my review of the film, after hearing all these pieces, it makes a lot of sense why the film is the way it is, especially for me. It's a movie that has a good amount of funny parts, but it's really Arthur's character that kind of strings it all along to get you at least from point A to B. I'm not going to say when you add all the pieces, it's this amazing film. I wouldn't go that route, but I would say Arthur helps fill enough of the gap gaps to get you to the end of the film. On another note about the casting is the first alien you meet, Beeblebrox or something like that. If I mispronounced that name, I am so sorry to all of you hardcore fans. But when he first came on screen and he started talking, please tell me I was not the only one who thought it was Owen Wilson. Actually, <laughs> you know what? Now, since you pointed out directly, I could definitely see that. If it was an American film, you can't convince me that Owen Wilson would not have played that part. 100% agree. Hell, for all we know, it could have been based on him. <laughs> <laughs> they just looked at the character and they're like, all right, how do we write this guy? Okay, Owen Wilson, great. So one interesting note I definitely want to bring up is that the books, I know you said you haven't read them, but did you know that with each iteration and version of the book, the author rewrites them? No. So it's not like the entire story changes, just little key notes here. And that's if I can use Wikipedia as a somewhat reliable source for information, which I know you're not supposed to do, but hey, I'm doing it anyways. So apparently it gets rewritten from version to version. That's a new one in my book. Mm -hmm. So it's nothing major. The core plot still stays the same. And I'm wondering with the varying source material from book to book and from version to version, if that could have impacted the film in some way. Oh, yeah. I mean, the film was in development hell for like almost 20 years. So, yeah, I, I can imagine all those pieces. I like how Regent pointed out, especially for early 2000s films, because he hit the nail on the head. Some of these movies were just you could tell they were kind of piecemealed together, at least from plots and stuff like that. This film is 100 percent that way. You could take out a lot of the scenes in the film. It would still be the same movie just because it's not a consistent, straightforward story. Just a lot of different plot points thrown together. Yeah, I feel that way about a lot of the early 2000 films that weren't like your high praise films. And yes, I get that this movie is commercially successful, but it is not to any sort of critic acclaim. I feel like if it's a movie in the early 2000s that didn't reach critic acclaim, it was sort of piecemealed together a bit. 
Oh yeah, no doubt. I think, unfortunately, when I go back and really start critiquing these films, that was a time period where we kind of set the bar low. And I think it's because we were spoiled with movies in the 90s. We had just a lot of amazing people behind the camera, in front of the camera. I mean, the 90s had just pinnacle cinematic performances. And I think after that, and I and I could be looking at this wrong, but it almost feels like people, especially in the production side, almost got cocky and was like, well, we could just do whatever we want, piece it together. I think that's what happens is that you almost get big headed and forget that you still need to go back to core things. Make sure you have a good story. Make sure you have solid editing. You can't just have good actors and actresses and then that be it or have good CG. There's still a whole thing called a plot and a story and editing that has to make sense. Yeah, and I'm definitely more on the whole, the character side of the story and the editing perspective. Because it's 2000, so you're not exactly going to have the best visual effects, which for this movie, actually not bad. But for other films in the 2000s, like, sure, the effects weren't bad, but that's also a product of the time. But it's like characters and character development and storyline was sort of forgotten. And I'm wondering if you're 100% right that people in Hollywood making these films sort of did get cocky and thought, okay, Everyone's eating up all of these films from the from the 90s. Let's just make a bunch of films. They're going to watch it anyways. And yes, we did watch a bunch of them anyways. But a lot of them were not very good. <laughs> yeah, a lot of them didn't make sequels because eventually they caught on. Which you could see there was a resurgence for better writing after 2010. I think late 2000s, around 2010. And I want to say that was because of people like Christopher Nolan and a couple other amazing directors that was making excellent films where it was like, oh, wow, story really does matter. Character development does matter. <laughs> you know? And I think that's what helped bring that back to the forefront. Even with MCU, MCU got better over time. I'm not going to act like Marvel was just hitting bangers when they hit, had Iron Man. Thor and Iron Man 2 was messy. Incredible Hulk had his hits and misses. But but then after that hump, once again, around that 2010, 2011, they started getting their groove too. And I think that's what it was, is just unfortunately 2000s, as much as I love my films from that during that time period, I think that was definitely a huge hits, huge misses phase that people were still trying to learn how to make good cinema with good graphics. I would agree with you. I, I feel like movies did get better storyline-wise and character-wise around the year 2010. And I would attribute that to directors like Christopher Nolan and Peter Jackson. People seeing what they've done and seeing the roster of films that they've had over the past 10 years and realizing that from a story perspective, they're not that great. But you've got these standout directors with these standout films that go on to critic acclaim and to audience acclaim and just become instant classics in the eyes of so many people that we actually did start to receive better quality films and stories over the next 10 years even to the point where we are now in 2022 where we are receiving pretty much like a good solid 10 maybe 10 films a year that are just really good and they don't even have to be movies that you see in the theater sometimes they're like netflix movies or hbo movies or disney plus exclusives but we're just seeing really good content coming out year after year in abundance to where now it's almost like it's hard to keep up with the amount of good quality films. Oh yeah, I agree. It's so difficult. I love doing this podcast, but if we were doing all the biggest hits of modern time, we could never do anything past just the year that we're talking about 100% exactly because of what you're talking about. 
Yeah. I feel like most people, and including us as a podcast, we do hit some of those bigger names. Like we're obviously going to hit the MCU films since we're all three a fan of Marvel and what they're doing with their universe. But there's just so much that's come out. And I'm very glad to say that I feel like Hollywood and the filmmaking and TV show making industry is getting better. Yeah, I feel like, especially with early 2000s, with a film like this, one of the things that suffered was Hollywood, even to this day in, in certain segments, is definitely all about the dollar. We, we get it. You got to make your money. You got to pay the salaries. Everybody wants to make their buck. But at some point, you got to look at like the creative part of it and the passion behind it. And I think that's something that's grown is that more creative people get to have more power. And I mean, we see it with some of the directors like James Gunn has been just killing it. And that's because they're like... We trust you you love what you do you're creative make it here's a blank check you know <laughs> or even with a budget it's like we can give you a reasonable budget but you get to have creative control we're not going to come in and say yeah i'm an executive producer and i want it to look like this because that's just how they feel no we, we're now at a point where hey you've done this all your life you've written great stories improve this and put this out for us yeah, and I think time has proven that where you hear about all these movies where studio executives or big companies have interfered in a movie and it ends up turning out for the worse. And when film studios actually trust their directors with creative decision making, you have the rights to do whatever you want with this movie, go forward with it. It's turned out for the better. And I'm wondering if that might be something that happened in the early 2000s as well, especially with this film, is that during that time period, and I think you can agree with this, is that comedy films, especially like this, were in abundance. Oh, yeah. Actually, I go ahead and tell you, growing up, I loved comedy films that they were my number one thing to watch. But around this time period that we're talking about, I slowly started to just not watch them anymore. A few years after this, I would say around about 2009, 2010, I stopped watching comedy films. If you told me a comedy came out, I literally did not care. And Will Ferrell was probably the last person because even his movies started getting horrible. He was he was putting out bangers, but then his stuff just came, you know, became a crapshoot. And yeah, and I think that's kind of what we're talking about here is that movies just started getting to the point where it was like not they look like they had love and care put into them but not really though right and i feel like with the abundance of comedy films out there like you're saying even up to 2009 i'm wondering if studio to studio looked at these other comedy films that actually were successful i was like hey look look at the amount of jokes look what kind of jokes here put this in here put that in there make sure you include this type of humor and if it doesn't work for every film you get something like this where yes the humor works in some areas but it can also be a detriment because i found some of the jokes to be funny in this film but others just felt flat on their face and I didn't actually see it as comedy. I just thought that that was the dialogue, but apparently it was a joke. Yeah, I looked up some of the reviews in the film and that was usually the biggest complaint actually was that you could tell too much of the humor was written for an audience that didn't watch it. Yeah, there's definitely some fixes that could happen with this movie, and there's a lot of things to enjoy if you're a fan of comedies, and if you're a fan of sci-fi comedies specifically, I think you might enjoy this film. I personally didn't, though.
Yeah, and I love this film. It's it's a film I definitely really enjoy, which they don't have a 4K copy, which I'm upset about because I've been waiting to get a, a cleaner version of it, like a HD version. Even outside of all that stuff, I think it's a good film, but it is definitely one of those niche films. It reminds me of The Holy Grail with that one. Not everybody liked Monty Python. That's like a very niche humor. And that's what this kind of reminds me of is that when you love it, you really like it. And it's right up your alley. That's kind of how it is for me. I love this movie a whole lot. And my friends that like it, we can quote and we'll talk about this movie. We'll rewatch it like it's nothing. But I really understand if you're not into it, this movie sucks or it's boring for you. I totally get it because the humor is very specific type of humor. I want to enjoy this film more than I do because of all the different elements in it. That's all I really have to say on it. I don't know if you have any more you want to add. Yeah, I have one piece of trivia to add is that the entries in the movie that the Hitchhiker's Guide had, which with the earlier critique, that's something I kind of wish they did focus a lot more, which was the actual hitchhiking part. But the movie actually originally had the animators specifically wanted to have even dirtier jokes for the entries, but they wanted to keep it more family friendly for the film. And only one entry actually still made it into the film. And that was the whole thing about the cow being milked and the cow was getting aroused from it what's crazy is that's what got away like they had worse stuff than that so i could only imagine what version of the film that would have been rated r oh so we actually brought up that there was numerous attempts but the one that i do want to point out was one attempt to bring this movie out was back in the 80s and they approached dan Aykroyd and like bill murray and a couple other people and that was the same group that eventually made ghostbusters the reason why they didn't make this is because dan Aykroyd came back with the ghostbusters vision and they liked that one more so could you imagine that kind of crossroad path where it was like that same group who did ghostbusters in an alternate timeline did this movie instead yeah, not at all. I feel like they made the right call and kind of passing on this film. 100% agree with you. <laughs> Ghostbusters was a solid, good-ass movie. They definitely did right by that. Oh, yeah. Ghostbusters still stands the test of time today. Like, I enjoy Ghostbusters. Like, it's not exactly my type of humor, but I can see that it is a good movie and it is actually funny. Yeah, I don't even think this movie would have been made well. I can't imagine anything close to what we got for this film in 2005 being somewhere in like 83, 84. Just, it definitely, unfortunately, would have been a commercial flop, in my opinion. Yeah, it would definitely feel like a Star Wars slash Doctor Who slash Star Trek cash grab. Since 80s was pretty much the peak of Star Wars or the first peak of Star Wars, I should say, since they were still coming out at that point. And Star Trek was still booming and Doctor Who was still going very strong at that point. And we had space balls, but, you know, sometimes you can have too much stuff, especially when it comes to comedy and parodies. I mean, we've seen the whole scary movie franchise and how it got worse and worse. And then they went on a whole thing. You were probably too young to deal with that venture. You, you dodged a bullet. Yeah, I've seen the scary movies and I realized I have dodged a bullet. But unfortunately, I went back to go get that bullet. Well, that was just the start. The disaster movie and all those hungover games, like it got so much worse after Scary Movie. They became Dollar Tree versions of parodies. They were parodies of parodies. That's when you knew. I'm just so glad they finally stopped at some point. But yeah, that was a whole franchise. But we are now going on a rant.
Yes. So with that, I'm going to give my final review here. I think that there's definitely elements of this film that work and work well, but there's a lot of it that just doesn't. And I really wish they could have improved upon that. To me, my first reaction to this film was texting Regent and Cookie saying, what in the cracked out Star Wars Doctor Who did I just watch? So that lets you know what kind of film you're going to get into if you're going to watch this movie if you haven't already. So I would have to give this movie for me personally, four out of 10. And for cinematic, I'd agree with the ratings about a six out of 10. Yeah, I don't know if I can say in top 50, but it's definitely in my top 100 favorite movies of all time. And I've watched a lot of movies, so that's actually is giving it a lot of credit. Unfortunately, I wouldn't say it's an amazing film. I think it's a fun, entertaining film. And like I said before, my biggest critique is I feel like it is like one of those, we have a beginning and end, and now we're just going to give you random ass chapters in the middle of it. And that definitely hurt it a whole lot. And because of stuff like that, I can't give it any higher than a seven. My heart wants to give it an eight because I enjoy it. Every time I watch it, I enjoy it. But even I can't front it is a mess so that's the best i would put it i do feel like if you enjoy comedies it deserves at least a watch but if you're a sci-fi fan i am not going to recommend it just for that reason i would have to point out like oh do you like comedies and sci-fi what about you regent Basically, with this movie, after everything, I would probably give this a score of probably around a 5 out of 10. Had they really just focused on smaller quantity and put more quality behind it, I would have given this movie a higher score. But it's the the sum of its environment and the times that it was in and the fact that it was in production hell for a year and a half could have put a lot of time into making it better, going back and doing reshoots. But 5 out of 10 is where I stand. Okay. All right. And with that, that is all we have to say on the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Region of Cookie, thank you very much for joining me for this episode. It was fun. It was a pleasure, but we can definitely watch better British movies in the future. All right. And thank you listeners for listening. If you did enjoy this episode, a like, share, review on whichever platform you're currently listening to this podcast on would be greatly appreciated. It helps us out a lot and it is an absolutely free way to support us. Another free way to support us is to tell a friend. Telling a friend is a great way to support the podcast. Let's them know that you enjoy the show. So go ahead and do that. Also, make sure you follow our social media links to get updates about when we release episodes and then stuff we're doing next, taking polls and such. So if you want to be a part of that or get into a conversation about a movie we just talked about, go ahead and follow our socials. They're all linked below as well as an email linked below and you can let us know whatever movie you want us to cover. Again, thank you very much for listening. We hope you enjoyed and have a wonderful day. Bye.